0: All right, y'all, how are we doing tonight? All right. Hey, if you have your Bible with you, turn to Daniel chapter 2. We're going to dive right in. Y'all enjoying these videos? They're good. They're good. We need to get some, uh, some Italian subtitles on these videos. Am I right? Where, where are my Italian friends at? Hey, let's go. Let's go. Alright, Daniel chapter 2 is where we're going to be jumping in tonight, and y'all, I uh, I actually just stepped out of the back of chapel, and I was uh, FaceTiming with my wife and my daughter as, as they were doing bedtime, and we ask Piper the same question every night. We kind of have this like whole bedtime ritual that we do with Pipes, and uh, it always involves like some sort of Song and book and like this whole like routine that we do, right? And like Piper will ask, like most of the times, just like normal bedtime songs, right? Like l- lullabies, whatever. But then every once in a while, Piper will ask for like a bizarre song to be sung for her, her bedtime routine. Like every, like she's a she's a Beach Boys fan, right? So every once in a while, we'll pu- we'll, we'll like pull out a. Um, you know, a little be, lullaby rendition of like, if everybody had an ocean across the USA. I kid you not, my little like two and a half year old bleach blonde girl will walk around the house going, a bushy, bushy blonde hairdo, right? And I'm like, I love you, right? Like, it's, it's the best. And the other night she hit me with this one. She goes, Dada, can we sing? I was like trying to pull out, you know, the, like, the regulars. And she goes, can we sing Baby Shark? I was like, um... I, I, mate, yes. So it was like the, I was trying to do like my most, like, cause homegirls literally, like she's always spun up at bedtime, right? Like parents in the room, your kids come up with a million excuses, right? Like why it's not bedtime yet. They come out and they're like, I got to wash my hands. And you're like, what are you talking about? And she's like, I just pick my nose. And you're like, nah, touche, right? Like that's fair. And so it's like, there's always like these, these funny bits where she goes like, can, can we sing baby shark? So I'm like, I'm doing my best lullaby, like calming version, which is impossible, <laughs> right? Like, baby shark, do, 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 baby shark. And I go, I finish the whole baby shark bit and she goes, mama shark. It's like, all right, mama shark. And we went through all of them, you know, all like mama, grandma, grandpa, like all of the baby sharks. And then, I, and then we always get to the same question. I asked Piper every night and I just asked her on FaceTime outside. I said, Piper, what two things do you know to be true? And every night she answers the same thing. She says, mama and Dada love me and God loves me. Every night, right? And it's, it's the coolest thing because I, I want my daughter, like right now it's just memory, right? It's just like sheer memorization. And some nights it's like, it's all one word. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know when little kids say a full sentence, but it's all one word? It's like, Piper, what two things? I can't even finish the sentence. She's like, mom and dad I love you, God love me. And you're like, okay, right? Like, like, it is sheer memorization. But here's what I know to be true. There will come a day in Piper's life where she'll wrestle to believe that. Right? She'll, <clears throat> she'll struggle in some way, shape, or form to know, to believe, to understand that God loves her and that mom and dad love her and are for her. Right? Do you know this? Do you know that the single most mature thing you could do as a follower of Jesus is simply believe that God loved you? But do you know how hard that is? Do you know how difficult that is to live day in and day out? Like not just know it up here. Right? like if you've been around church for a long time, right? If you've like if you've heard that maybe from a pastor, or from your parents, or you've opened up the Bible and you go, "God loves you," and, and like I could say it from up here and go, "God loves you," and I I my 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 bet is that most of you in this room would go like, "Cool," like you've heard that before. Like my bet is is if I said, "Hey, friend, God loves you," there's no one in this room that's going like, "What? He what?" Right? But but we almost should. Like, remember the whole projection thing? Like, if I said, like, if I could hook up your brain to the screen, what if I said God knows all of those things about you and still goes, that's somebody I love? uh, There's a a guy named Tim Keller, and he writes a book called The Meaning of Marriage. And in this book, he writes about love. And he says, one of of my favorite quotes from the book, he says, to be loved but not known is superficial, right? Like, you go down the hill, you're in a grocery store, you're like in the canned food idol, and somebody walks up to you and they're like, I love you. You're like, thanks. Like if, if somebody you don't know walks up to you and is like, I love you, you're like, neato. It doesn't mean a whole lot, right? But if, and, and so he goes on, he says, to be loved but not known is superficial. And then he says, to be known but not loved is our greatest fear, right? That's why we're not vulnerable, that's, that's why we wear masks. It's why we show up and we pretend. It's why we think we have to perform, right? It's why we go through our life and we show up at church. Anybody ever showed up at church before and somebody asked you, how are you doing? And you were doing horrible, but you went, good, right? Because we think we have to show up to church a certain way. We got to like put on our smile. We got to put on, our, like, and, and like worship happens and we're like, you know, let the king of my heart. And inside we're like doing horrible. He says, to be known but not loved is our greatest fear as human beings. And then he goes on to say this. He says, to be fully known and fully loved is a lot like being loved by God. That God knows everything about you and still chooses to say, I love you. And let me show you how I love you. And so we ask Piper this question every night. Piper, what two things do you know to be true? Mama, dad love me and God loves me because I want my daughter to remember All throughout the Bible, God, we talked about this this morning, God gives us these reminders. And he says in Matthew chapter 7, we looked at this morning, if you hear these words of mine, if you remember these words of mine, if you hear my word taught, if you open up my word and you read it, if you hear it and believe it enough to actually do what he says, you'll be like the house that's built on the the rock. And here's what I want to do tonight, okay? Um, Y'all see yourselves. Oh, look, I can blind you. That's kind of fun. Wow. Okay. All right. So here's what I want to do, okay? I'm going to take this mirror, and I'm not going to leave it here the whole talk, I promise, because that'd be weird. Uh, Stay. It's hardy construction up here, okay? Uh, I'm just going to put this mirror right here for now, and here's why. When we talk about persevering through trials tonight... When we talk about what does it look like to not just believe that God is good up here or to believe that God's word says that he knows, he understands, he's sovereign, and he's still good, and he still loves. Tonight's message, I'm not standing up here. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend like I've, I've figured this out. Like I'm a pastor going like, hey, I know this to be true. Now you need to know it to be true. I'm going to stand up here with a mirror going, hey, friends, I'm going to teach this message to me tonight. Because I need to hear it. And I need to be reminded of it. That there are moments in my life over the last like two, three years, like things that my wife and I have walked through, things that my community and I have walked through, where have you ever like believed something up here, but then the rubber hits the road and you go, wait, what? Maybe there's been a moment in your life already where you've gone, I, people have told me that God is good and that he's loving and he's kind, but it doesn't feel like it right now. And maybe there's been a moment in your life up to this point where, where you've seen and you've understood that there are a bunch of people around you that will maybe read this Bible to you or tell you some truth about God, but it's really hard to believe. And so tonight, I'm just going to, friends, I, I need to hear what God's word has to say to you and to us tonight. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to move this right over here. I'm going to pray for us as we open up Daniel chapter two. And then my, my heart, my hope, my expectation is as God shows up in this place tonight, as we open up his word that you would be receptive to what he might wanna teach you and show you. And let me just triple down on the fact that like, I'm not gonna stand up here and pretend like I know how to persevere through trials. It's really hard. And yet I wanna open up God's word and I wanna be encouraged by God's word tonight because I need to be reminded of the truth in the same way that I think my two and a half year old needs to be reminded of truth so that one day when that becomes hard to believe, that she knows in the back of her head mom and dad love me and god loves me okay so let's pray god as we open up your word tonight god i just ask that you would show up in this place that god we can we can talk about your goodness And your kindness and your love for us we can remind ourselves of truth and yet god if if you don't show up if you don't soften hearts and open up eyes and ears to see the ways that you're moving then god we we have no hope without you and so we're expecting that you would move tonight God, that this wouldn't just be uh encouraging words out of my mouth but it would be your power working through your word reminding us of what is true God, and, and I just pray, God. I, I believe there are probably people in here that are wrestling with whether or not you are good, with whether or not you do love them. And God, my hope, my heart tonight is as we remind ourselves of truth, as we crack open your word, that you would soften our hearts towards you, that we would take a step of trust towards you. We love you, God. Thanks for loving us first. In your name, we pray. Amen. Daniel chapter two. Okay, y'all. <clears throat> We're going to read a lot of Bible tonight, okay? Are you here for it? Are you here for it? Okay, here we go. Daniel chapter two, verse one. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. So far, pretty normal story. Then the astrologers answer the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. Again, normal interaction. The king then replies to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Y'all, this is bananas, right? Like, just go ahead and if you have nothing to be thankful for, just like pause tomorrow throughout your day and go, hey... God, I'm really thankful that I don't live in a time and a day and an age where a king can just go, I've had a dream. And you're like, cool. And he goes, tell me what the dream is and what it means, or you are gonna get cut into pieces? Or like, this is just like your average Thursday in Babylon, okay? Like Nebuchadnezzar is wild. Like this dude's mind is off the charts. This is high stakes dream interpretation right here. Okay, and we read on. The astrologers say, May the king live forever, tell your servants the dream, blah, blah, blah. This is what I firmly decided. Tell me what the dream is, interpret it, or I'll turn your houses into piles of rubble. But if you do not tell me the dream and explain it, or sorry, but if you do tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once again, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I'm certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's only one penalty for you. You've conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping that the situation would change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. And the astrologers answer the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods and they do not live among the humans." This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. Fast forward down to verse 17, Daniel returns to his house after hearing this execution order and he explains it to his friends. Then he urges them to plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said this. And pay attention to this prayer, friends. Hey, if you're reading this in the Bible, maybe you underline a few lines. If you're if you don't have a Bible, maybe you look on with somebody next to you, or just listen to this. Listen to the way that God, that Daniel, through prayer, reminds himself of who this God is and declares the character of this God. He says this: Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and the knowledge of the discerning. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light light dwells within him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we asked of you. You You've made known to us the dream of the king. Notice how many times in the middle of a chaotic moment, Daniel, his life and the life of his friends have been threatened. And in the middle of that, God chooses to show up in his life. Anybody else get chills watching the thing when like the phone, the red light shines up? He says, you are not alone. Y'all, do you know how many of us just need to pause and remember that when you're in the middle of it? When you're going through life, like when you, you come up to Hume, like this place is incredible. You look around you, there's like all these trees and a cove and like this, the beauty of coming to chapel twice a day and like worshiping our God and opening up his word and community, right? Like your response to when we started singing Christ is My Firm Foundation, like I felt like I was at a concert, right? Like it's like as if the band wrote an original song and y'all heard it for the very first time and you're like, oh my gosh, I love this song, right? But if we actually lived like that, Saying Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, I have this peace that makes no sense to the world around me. And then to go, to sing the prayer, like all I need is Jesus. I don't need anything else. I don't need anyone else. Are we ready to live that way? And I think sometimes we need to have the same prayer that Daniel did where he just goes, you are, this is your character. You, he is, he is, he is, he is. He's reminding himself. He's declaring who this God is. And then he steps before Nebuchadnezzar. I love this part. Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, verse 24. And he said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king. I will interpret his dream for him. Ariok took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. I kind of love that Daniel sets it up like a little bit suspenseful. He's like, can you tell me the dream? And he's like, no, wise men. <laughs> or he's like, no wise men, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mysteries asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through the mind as you rely on to the better these. Hey, and then if you want to read this later, verses 29 all the way through pretty much the end of chapter 3 up to verse 46 ish are the dream that Daniel interprets for Nebuchadnezzar. But I want you to just skip down to verse 46. It says that King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and he paid him honor and ordered that an an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, friends, don't miss this. We're gonna talk about this more tomorrow night. But this is King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, where they're exiled. The king says to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king places Daniel in a high position. And then y'all remember in the video, Right? Remember uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, the Nez, like, he declares, like, from here on out, we recognize the king as the king. We're going to do life his way. And then what did it say? Days later. Two days later. Right? And we don't necessarily know how much time passes between chapter two and chapter three, but just read with me the first verse of chapter three. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Literally in my Bible, right next to it, it says, LOL. Why? The king declares, right? He goes, your God is the God of all gods and the Lord of all lords. Like, let me recognize it because you were able to reveal my dream. And then one verse goes by and it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. And I think there's something friends here that we need to pay attention to. And again, we're gonna talk a little bit more about this tomorrow night, but it's easy to give God lip service. To go, of course I believe there's a God. Of course I want to go to church. Of course, like I, can get up, I can even come up front, and I can get excited about worship's music. And I can go, I don't want anyone else. I don't need anyone else. You are my one thing. There's a reason I don't lead worship, okay? And it's like, we can like get up front, we can sing these songs, we can get all excited about God. But there's a big difference between getting excited about God and being transformed by God. There's a massive difference between just saying that there's a God or believing intellectually that it's possible that he could exist and surrendering your life to him. And we see a prime example in the life of Nebuchadnezzar of somebody that's giving God lip service, showing up for it, getting excited about this God. And then the next thing we see, he turns and clearly God is not on the throne of his life. God will not share the steering wheel with you. He will either be Lord of your entire life, king or nothing at all. And here we're going to see in chapter three uh this play out in the life of nebuchadnezzar where he wants to sit on that throne he's going to make life about him there's a, there's a idolatry in this there's pride in this he's going to set this up and then again we're going to see the response of shadrach meshach and abednego in the middle of exile going is it possible for your life not to be t- defined by your circumstances can you be circumstance proof when the storm comes when the rain falls What is the foundation of your life built on, okay? So chapter three, I could summarize this for you and I could tell you what the story is all about, but I think the Bible does it best. So I'm gonna read the whole chapter three. Buckle up, here we go, okay? King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. And he set it up. On the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, he then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other of provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other of provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of the gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into the blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the... Horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music. And all the nations and the people of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, 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 horn. Horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and hype, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not foul, fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty. That we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. He ordered that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his enemy to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked the advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw them into the fire? And they replied, certainly, your majesty. And he said, look, I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Bishak, Abednego, servants of the most high God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was hair of their heads singed, their robes not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent the angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. This dude's got a thing for cutting people into pieces. Be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Hey, now why do I read this? Why do we talk about this story? Why does Hume make a video about this story? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they find themselves in a moment that, if I'm being honest, I don't think most of us are going to find ourselves there, right? Like, my guess is, I could be wrong. My guess is, when you go back to Temecula, right? Or when you go back to Italy, or when you go back to the Bay Area, or you go back to San Diego, right? Like, wherever it is that you're, you're from that you call home, my guess is, you're not going to find a scenario this fall. Where somebody's like, hey, denounce Christianity or be thrown into that furnace. And you're like, where'd you get a furnace, right? They're like, it's neither here nor there, right? Like, that's, that's my guess. You're not going to face this kind of situation. But we, we look at this scenario and we go, how did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have the confidence to stand in the middle of a trial and go, we believe wholeheartedly that our God can save us? Y'all... Like, if you've heard this story before, if you're anything like me, did you ever hear that as a kind of a caveat? Did you ever hear like Meshach and Abednego, like they almost make an excuse in there. They're like, we believe that our God can save us. But hey, even if he doesn't, like it's cool, right? Like I, you almost read this, you almost hear this as like a lack of faith, like a doubt. But I love their confidence to go, it's it's exactly like the apostle Paul says in, in Philippians chapter one, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There was this confidence that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had that said, if you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, that that your house, your life will be built on the foundation that is Jesus. And they're going, in the middle of of the worst day of my life, I can stand here with confidence and go, I know my God is capable of saving, but even if he doesn't, I'm not made for this world. If we see, look around us that nothing satisfies, maybe, just maybe, we were made for another place. We were made for another world. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood this confidently. But here's the problem. I think we live in a day and age where if we look at this mirror, I I, I think in the middle of trials more often than not, y'all, this is what we hear. We find ourselves in a difficult moment. Maybe we experience God when we go to church, but then we go back to school or we go back to a friend group. Or maybe we go back to a family that's doubting or we find ourselves in the middle of something really difficult and we find ourselves in the middle of something really difficult more often than not, right? Maybe we look into the reflection, we look into the mirror, we look into culture and we hear things like, where is your God now? You ever been walking through something or have you ever had a friend walk through something and go, I thought God was good. Why is this happening to me? Where is your God now? Or maybe you look into the mirror and you look into culture, you look into a moment and you hear, this hurts too bad. And maybe you're kind of like me where when you find yourself in the middle of pain, when you find yourself in the middle of brokenness, when you find yourself in the middle of trial, when it hurts too bad, it's way easier to distract and numb. I just wanna binge watch something. I just wanna scroll. I just wanna sit on the couch with a Diet Coke and Cheetos and just go, I just, it's too hard right now. This is too difficult. Maybe you look into the mirror in, in the middle of a trial and you look into hardship and you go, immediate gratification is way easier. And you find another boyfriend or you find another girlfriend or you find somebody that makes you feel a certain way right here, right now. You go, when I'm alone, when I'm single, I don't like who I am. And so I'm gonna find her that makes me feel better. I'm gonna find the guy that makes me feel better because when I'm, at least if we're holding hands or at least if we're close, then, then we have this immediate gratification about like my identity can be rooted and grounded right here. When We find ourselves in the middle of a trial, maybe the, the sounds of the YouTube theologian or the TikTok video that goes, that's a 2000 year old text. Why are we still believing in this thing? Do you know how many contradictions are in that book? And maybe the the sounds of a cultural moment that goes, how can you possibly be a Christian? It's 2023, science has disproved it. Maybe these voices start getting a little louder in your head. Maybe when you're in the middle of a trial, we look into the mirror and we think, if God is good, then why is this happening to me right now? And what I think, friends, what I know, what I'm confident that we have to do is turn our backs on that voice and on those lies, and walk over to the word of God, and open up God's word to places like John chapter 16, verse 33, where Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says, that was my pen. Jesus looks at his disciples. <laughs> he had a pen back then. He was the only one, right? Magically appeared. Jesus looks at his disciples in John chapter 16, and he says, in this world, you will have trouble. I don't know about you, but in my Christian school growing up or in my grandma's houses with the cross-stitch stuff, I never saw a poster with a dove that said, in this world, you will have trouble. That was never one of the like posters that I saw that I went, boy, that's encouraging, right? Like Jesus looks at his guys and in his last night with them. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. What a promise. But then the very next thing out of his mouth is take heart. I've overcome the world, that if you choose to follow me, your life will not be about this world. We need to turn our back on the lies and the distractions around us that go, this is too hard, numb, distract. Why are you paying attention to a 2,000-year-old text? Where is your God now? And remind ourselves of the truth. that in Hebrews chapter 4, it says we have a great high priest in Jesus who is tempted in every way and yet did not sin that Jesus is able to empathize with our weakness. He's not some ethereal God that's up in the sky looking down on us going, try harder. Anybody hear that? Anybody go to church and a pastor stands up and goes, here's a great truth about God. Now go and change your behavior. Here's a great truth about God. Now go try harder. And we walk out of church going, I'm trying. Anybody ever walked out of church exhausted? Going, I'm, I'm trying, it's, this is really hard. Friends, over the last 10 years of being a pastor, I've watched student after student after student struggle with shame, struggle with behavior modification, trying harder to do the Christian thing. I'm trying really hard to be a good Christian. And out of exhaustion, they walk away from the church and go, I tried church and it didn't work for me. But when we do that, we're missing the heart of Jesus. Jesus. That Jesus doesn't say, try harder. Jesus said, I saw you at your worst and I chose to demonstrate my love to you in that. And I love the promise that we see in James chapter four. James chapter four says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And then right before that, it says, he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Right In the middle of a trial, in the middle of pain, right, you don't walk into that trial by yourself. And yet so many of us live that way. So many of us walk through life and maybe we go to church or a camp and we're reminded of truth and then we go back into our life and we just try to figure it out ourselves. We're just white knuckling it going, I'm trying. But here's what I think we miss. Y'all seen The Lion King? Watch this clip. You're kidding Simba, Simba's trying to flex, right? He's trying to show off to Nala. He's like, yo, let's go to the elephant graveyard. And they go over there and then all of a sudden the hyenas show up and Simba's like feeling himself, right? He steps up and he's like, (laughs) and the hyenas are like, oh, do it again, right? Like they love it. And then the second time he opens up his mouth behind him, Mufasa, right? Like Mufasa shows up and, and Simba opens up his mouth and Mufasa roars, And I love the promise of scripture that says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Y'all, don't miss that promise. It's so easy to take God and kind of downplay him and put him in a little box that makes sense to us. And then when we think like we're in the middle of something hard or we're in the middle of something difficult, right? It's almost like we're showing up as Simba going like, I'll take on this difficulty. And we miss We miss the God of the Bible, right? The God that when you look around you and you see trees and creation, the God that said trees, you grow there and creation listened. Do do you see this God that is with you, that is willing to draw near to you, finite human being, if you draw near to him? In Isaiah chapter six, we get a, a picture into this God's throne room. And it says that there's these angels called seraphim. And and these angels are literally like the, the only picture we get in the original Hebrew is that they're on fire. Which, I don't know about you, but any being that is on fire and likes it is a terrifying creature. And it says that these seraphim, these beings, that they have six wings. And with two of them, they're covering their face because they're in the presence of God. With two of them, they're covering their feet out of honor. And with two of them, they're flying. And it says for all eternity, these beings are are chanting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it's repeated three times in scripture because it's, it's as if to say nothing has ever been holier than you are holy. Set apart different than In Revelation chapter 20, we get this picture. Sorry, in chapter 19, I almost caught it. Revelation chapter 19, and I'm actually going to bring the the band up if you guys want to cruise back up here. And I want to read this so that you understand, so you get this picture of who the God is. Thank you, my man. Who this God is that we're we're singing to. Who this God is that when we say, draw near to me, God says, and I will draw near to you. Y'all. Don't miss this picture of Jesus that we get. Because I grew up going to Sunday school where Jesus was wearing like a red sash and had like a little lamb under his arm. Right? Or Jesus, it was like this this like picture of Jesus where he had like a glow behind him and he had like shoulder length blonde surfer hair. And he was kind of this like hippie Jesus, like bright blue eyes, and you're like, I don't think so. Right? Like homie was Israeli. Like that's like that's right. Like I don't think that's how it works. And 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 yet we get this picture biblically, like. Friends, let the Bible inform you about who Jesus is. And this God that we're about to sing to, that we can walk into his throne room with confidence. Hey, this is the picture of Jesus. And when you find yourself in a trial, when you find yourself in a difficult moment, don't walk through that moment by yourself. Don't think that you have to do it alone. Because we know how the story ends. We looked at that this morning, right? In the middle of chaos, in the middle of brokenness, we can look to the end of the story and know that we have a God who says there will be no more tears, and there will be no more brokenness, there will be no more famine, there will be be no more war. But then this is the picture of Jesus who says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. And it says this in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True, Y'all don't miss this. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. What? Like, homie's got a name tattooed on him that nobody even knows. You know how nuts that is? Like, that's so cool. This is your God. He has a name written on him that nobody knows, but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Y'all, who shows up to war dressed in white? An army that knows they're not gonna get dirty. An army that knows this isn't gonna be a fight. They're dressed in white, fine linen because they go, this isn't gonna get messy. It's over. The war has been won. God is conquer. And this is the God that draws near to you in the middle of your moment, in the middle of your trial, in the middle of your brokenness. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of fury, of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Y'all, this is, I'm good. This is the God. Friends, that when we draw near to Him in worship, hey, don't come up front in worship because you want the person on your left or the person on your right to kind of have this fun moment. Wait, if you're going to come up front, if you're going to worship this God, if we're going to sing this song, would you do so with the confidence? That when we walk with Jesus, when we worship this God, He is the God that always has been, that always will be, that looks at you and says, I know everything about you, and I still love you. I'm here for you. I want to be with you. Would our worship simply be a response to that kind of love? Would our worship be a response to that kind of God that has told us the greatest story, that's ever been told, that's hardly ever told in its entirety, that from beginning to end, this God has chased after you and said, I love you and I'm with you on your best day and on your worst day. Would you stand to your feet? Let's worship.